Welcome to Coop Talk, where we have open and passionate discussions with Coop enthusiasts about our favorite sport. I'm your host, Chad Bevers, and this is episode number one that we have titled The 100% Rule. This episode was recorded on March 8th, 2016, during the first half of our Coop Talk session hosted by Coop United on our TeamSpeak 3 server. If you're interested in joining us live for future broadcasts, please join us on our YouTube channel on how to set up and connect to the Coop United's TeamSpeak 3 server. During this broadcast, we open with news on our latest project film, and in the second half, we discuss two rules that we're reviewing and would like some feedback from the Kube community. The first rule was a way to easily resolve Kubes knocked down by illegal throws, and the second half we're referring to is the 100% rule. Darren Finger is my co-host on these podcasts, and thank you for listening as we join the discussion now. All right, we are rolling, everybody. Um, this is Chad Bevers with Cube uh, United. Just wanted to give everybody a, a, a welcome to our TeamSpeak 3 server. Um, we are recording this live for everybody, and uh, welcome everybody to the room. I think we have a um, few, few people in here. Uh, looks like we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people, so that's a good. that's good. Like I said, uh, we'll just go through and maybe introduce yourself, and uh, go from there, and we'll kind of start off little bit of background of what Kube United is and then kind of what we have going on in the background if you don't have it heard. So um, Darren, you want to pick it up from there? Name's Darren Finger. I live in Waukesha, Wisconsin, just west of Milwaukee. Started playing Kube in 14. Beast. Met Chad and Evan Beloit in 2014, my first tournament I ever went to. I've played a lot of Kube since. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks. Uh, this is Evan Fitzgerald, uh, also with Kube United. Started playing Coob 2011 uh, at the Rockford tournament. I definitely kind of made my way around a lot of the circuit lately. So uh, excited to have everyone on here tonight, and kind of look forward to ever talking to everyone. So thanks for thanks for joining us. Oh, and I'm I'm uh, living in Roscoe, Illinois, and uh, working in Milwaukee. So it's kind of cool because I get a chance to to play with Darren quite a bit. So hi, Rick and Lynn from Puppet Batons. Chad, mom and dad, Winnicott. All right, thank you. Go ahead, Jesse or Bob or Dano. All right, this is uh, Bob Hykus from uh, Morgantown, Pennsylvania. I'm a co-founder of Keystone Cube, and I play with the Cube Stashes. Uh, we've been competitive, I guess, for about a year or so now, and um, we're looking to make our second trip to nationals this year. And uh, you know, we're excited to talk about some Cube. And uh, this is Jesse Frame from uh, Kalamazoo Cube here in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I uh, play with Settlers of Baton. And uh been playing. This will be my third season uh, traveling around the Midwest playing coup. Awesome, thanks. I don't know if Dano has a mic or not, but if Dano, if you don't, that's not just fine. So basically, um, maybe a little, uh, maybe a little feedback with with Coobie uh, Night and what we have been going on. We we got together and um, kind of wanted to put together something that I think we all kind of have a same insight on, and that is to make Cuba an actual true sport. So we've been working really hard behind the scenes. Uh, you know, we started, uh, got a, a state corporation in the state of Wisconsin, got a 501c3 status. Right now, we're we're really pushing for kind of the fun stuff, kind of working it out and uh, getting ready for Rockford and getting some stuff uh, talked about with the Open. And one of the biggest things that we have going uh, this week is we reached out and got a, um, in touch with a media crew who does um, movies, I guess, if you will, and... Um, that's the Saturday. So, Evan, do you want to talk a little bit about we, the, the state line uh, grant that we got, that we basically got for that? 
there's uh, one of the nice things once we got our 501c3 status was it kind of opened up the door to apply for some grants. Um, one of our partners on the U.S. Open and also helping us run the terms the last two years was the Visit Beloit, which is kind of the, the Visitors Bureau for, for the city of Beloit, Wisconsin. And they uh, they approached us about what it was called the State Line Community Foundation. And with that, what basically the, the purpose of that organization is to kind of bring in events into the city or into that area, kind of what they call refer to the State Line area, which is uh, southern Wisconsin, with Beloit, Wisconsin, even a little bit over the border there in South Beloit, and Roscoe, where I live, uh, as well as a other couple communities in the area. And we uh, able to apply for it. What it does is all the money that we use for this can be used for, for marketing, marketing basically the U.S. Open. One of the things that they visit Beloit and wanted to do was kind of come up with a, a rules video that they could kind of share with people. It's going to be playing at the Welcome Center um, as people come in from Illinois to into the Wisconsin Beloit area. Kind of part of, they have like a series of videos they show that kind of talk about the area and things they do. And one of the things they want to do is help us promote the U.S. Open. And by doing that, they, they wanted to actually kind of, you know, a lot of people don't really know what Kube is. So they wanted us to come up with a rules video. Um, so they gave us some money to do that as part of the funding that we're doing, along with some other things that, uh, you know, we'll get some signage and things like that. But the exciting thing is the project and what we really kind of looked at a lot of the rules videos that are out there and a lot of them, you know, some of them are, are done really well, but what we found was they didn't really prepare you for a tournament or the way it really looks. Um, so like it's a lot of the videos, if you saw it and kind of played the way that they teach you in the backyard and all of a sudden you show up at your first tournament, you're not really, you know, you probably don't have a really good feel. The challenge we're going to have is it's, you know, the, the funding that we got was about enough to cover about a three to four minute video. What we decided to do was the uh, come up with this production crew who we, we viewed a lot of their other videos. They're out of Madison, Wisconsin, called Green Clock Films. And they had some really cool videos they did with other sports, promoting uh, these volleyball tournaments, charity, uh, kickball, different things. And, and Chad did some research and came across, and after we, we kind of interviewed and talked with them, we uh, were really excited. So what we're looking to do is have a really nicely done professional video shows people playing coup, kind of goes through the rules, uh, we're trying. We want it to be seen accurately the way tournaments are played, but also be fun. Show it be fun. So, so a lot of that's gonna be kind of a challenge. But I think we found a really fun group who's gonna make that. And so what we're hoping to be seeing is, uh, you know, that that be, kind of becomes, you know, a video that everybody can share and get a better feel for. So um, it's gonna have like professional voiceovers. They're coming out. We got a bunch of people showing up to the park Saturday. Uh, weather pending, of course. Um, it actually looks like we might have like 60 degrees and potential rain, but we're, we're, we're hoping for the best that we don't have that. Um, but they're going to have drone footage out there. They're going to have GoPro cameras lined up all over the place or have a roving like camera that'll be kind of going around the field. We're going to have two pitches set up and painted, kind of look what we're hoping to be similar to what the, the U.S. Open will kind of look like. And uh, so we're really excited about the project. The city of Boyd's really excited about it. And uh, we're kind of really looking forward to getting that out there and be able to share that with everybody. There are some really good videos out there. The one that kind of come to mind was the Justin Ross one. But when you look at the equipment and some of those type of things, you know, he's a very charismatic guy and he's really fun to listen to. But, you know, they talk about the stacking of the cubes and, and the equipment doesn't really match what we play with. So we're kind of looking for something that really 
reflects more of what Kube looks like from a tournament and not just a backyard game. So that's kind of our objective there that really fitted really well with Kube United's mission. And uh, kind of really excited to see how it plays out. So, you know, if, if we are able to get it filmed here the 12th, hopefully that means early April we'll get it back uh, with the edits and be able to, to, to show everybody. So uh, just a project we're really excited about. It's been kind of one we've been working here behind the scenes for the last month. And, and the uh, State Line Community uh, Foundation grant has helped us to do that. Yeah, that's that's real. That's real exciting stuff that we've been working pretty hard on uh, behind the scenes. And again, what Evan said is we're trying to really get a professional type video out there that uh, really hits the the game as a sport more professional than anything else that's out there right now. And as you can find in the uh, YouTube world, I guess. So we're really looking forward to that. Hopefully, um, that'll turn out really cool. They do have some pretty good equipment and some of their videos that uh, we looked at online, had a chance to talk to them. Sounds like it's going to be a really good fit. Uh, they really understand uh, sports and kind of where they're, they're coming from and really understand what it takes to really catch the people's attention with short videos. Um, I think everybody knows, or most everybody should know, <laughs> everybody's attention span is kind of short anyways, but you kind of hit it home right away with, uh, you know, hit a three, three and a half minute uh, video and make it kind of exciting. So we're hoping the weather holds off for us and so we can get that shoot in. So that's kind of one of the biggest things we got going on right now. So it's basically a how to play cube video. That's better than the one sheet of paper you get with your cube set, you know, cause that, that's a, that's a start for the rules, but this will help you, you know, and I think that's what Beloit's really wanted was um, a video to show people who'd never heard of cube. Hey, here's how you play it. Yeah, exactly. That's how yeah, they approached us to, uh, when we first kind of, even before we even kind of talked with him about the U.S. Open, that was something that uh, Matt Bozen, who's the the guy who's kind of been our main contact from Visit Beloit for the tournament, and uh, I know it's something a vision they had, it's something they were kind of thinking about, maybe trying to pull off themselves, and they you know, and then we're, but then it just seemed like it all kind of made sense when Coop United formed, and we you know kind of brought up the idea of the U.S. Open, and then you know they they kind of said, well, we also have this other grant if we can come up, come up with a uh, professional way of doing it and so it just kind of all kind of came together and so like I said really excited um, one of the challenges will be is within that three to four minutes we know we're not going to be able to cover every rule but we really want to kind of cover them accurate to the way we're playing um, so we may have to have some follow-up videos maybe get into some advanced things uh, maybe kind of get dive in a little bit more of how the 246 works and some of that type of stuff but we're going to try to get as much as we can in um, I kind of wrote up a script with all the you know kind of dry script where all the rules and they're trying to take as much of that as they can and kind of make it fun and exciting. So we're anxious to see what the script looks like. They're uh, supposed to be releasing that to us here uh, tomorrow or Thursday. And then, uh, you know, then we'll kind of do some editing, but you know, they're really, uh, they're really trying to also add some fun stuff to it. So we're not really sure what that means yet, but we're kind of excited to see what, what ideas they come up with. Cause they definitely seem like a very creative crew that, uh, that has been really fun to work with so far. We're, we're looking forward to it, I know, uh, that's for sure. During this second section, we discussed setting up coobs after they've been knocked down by an illegal toss. The rule we were considering for the U.S. Coob Open is to have the defensive or offensive team set the coobs up from where they lay versus having the coobs be reset back to the original position before the illegal throw. The thought is that this will be a quicker and easier for the team to resolve than to try to guess where they were originally. 
we rejoin the discussion now. One of the other things that we have going on is um, a little bit of, like you guys probably heard that what we are trying to do, Kube United, was kind of originally brought together for is we, we, we have this vision of making Kube a legitimate sport. And that's not, we're not trying to change anybody, anybody else with a way they run their tournament. But this is our vision and we're, you know, hosting the, the U.S. Kube Open. And one of the things that we, we think, because we've kind of all been in sports, you know, pretty much our entire lives, is one of the things that we think can be added to it is active referees. We understand we're not going to have active referees, uh, you know, in every pitch. However, I think there's a good chance of having some um, good coverage, at least in the final eight and, you know, quarterfinals on and, you know, semifinals and finals. But having said that, we wanted to come up with some sort of certification, if you will, to have people, if they wanted to be certified, we're going to have, we're putting together a little slideshow and with a little quiz, if you will, just so, so people understand, kind of like taking a a uh, certification test. I'm sure people have some certifications through work or whatever, but it's kind of very similar to that. And so we got most of it completed, but we're hung up on two little rules. And, and this is, again, just something we want to pass along to you guys to see what your thoughts are on it, uh, just to get some feedback on it. But it's good to hear from Jesse and Bob and, you know, um, Dano, if he can talk, and then my parents is, and this is just for the U.S. Open. This is not pertains to any other tournament. Uh, this is what we're going to adopt and uh, move forward to U.S. Open. And one of those is if I think the current rule is right now that if you say if you have a group of cubes that somebody just drilled and and they're they're all bunched together and somebody throws at those cubes and knocks say three down, but it was either a foot fault of some sort or a legal throw and somebody calls them out on it. The way the rule is written right now is the cubes are stood up as close to where they were that you can remember in that pile. So what our thought is, is what if we change that to, you know, same, same, you know, infraction happens, foot fault or whatever referee calls it. And they now will be set up where they come to rest. So what do you guys think uh, on, on that? Have any opinions? And if, again, feel free to talk and uh, go from there. I just they want to get... interject one real quickly. Yeah, so the idea is, is, like you say, kind of get knocked down if they get you know knocked over wherever they're landing. Because you know, instead of trying to try to remember where they come back, we've kind of been playing around the backyard, experimenting where you set them up, uh, kind of, you know, almost like as if they've been falling through. Now, the one thing we had some, you know, one concern I know that was brought up in our group was, you know, would it be too big of a penalty and the potential there? Or if, is there a way that somebody could knock them down, like, illegally, intentionally and benefit from it? I think a lot of experimentation has shown that we haven't been able to figure out that, but I'm curious if anybody thinks about that. But the other option, one option we decided is, like, to kind of mitigate it so it doesn't, maybe isn't too damaging of a penalty is to allow the offense to be the ones who sets it up. Um, from there. Um, so we had a little bit of internal debate on offense or defense picking it up. But I just kind of wanted to kind of throw those points out there for the group feedback. This is Bob. I have, I have a quick question. What if they go out of bounds? Like Slide them back to the closest point. So it basically okay. be you'd, you'd slide them, like, you know, like say with the center line of the pitch, you would kind of do it parallel with that until it's then in bounds was, was, the, was the rule that we kind of 
kicked around for that. I mean, so, and your your penalties are basically baton rotation or no rotation, and it doesn't stay on plane, or you have a foot fault. It's really the only three things that I can think of happening. Is there anything else? The only other one would be if somebody hadn't left the pitch yet. Um, that's one of the rules that I know we're okay with that. It's like this, you know, because sometimes people we've, we've seen doesn't happen very often, but kind of a safety thing to make sure somebody's off the pitch and you know has a chance to you know be observing. Um, so that that's yeah, like what you mentioned, and that was the only ones that we kind of identified as a um, potential. That, that's the things that the referees will really be kind of looking for. Yeah, so I'm thinking. I can't remember any time that I've really ever gotten or thought of even calling a penalty on myself on a short shot. It just most of the time those things seem to fairly. And the long ones tend to, if you're going way off plane, you know, obviously that would it's obviously more obvious to pick up than on, on like a blast shot. But as far as where you set them up, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty steep penalty to say. Depending on the shot, if 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 you're setting them back up to where they landed, based on you know or where they were, because you're already forfeiting a baton at that point as well. Um, but it, like you said, it's it's really hard to tell where they were necessarily. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure really what, how I feel about it one way or the other. I feel like it's a fairly rare instance, but it might not be as rare with active referees. It's definitely rare. <laughs> I, I've never seen. I know Evan has. Right, Evan, you've, have you played games that, where that's happened and you had to set them up? Several yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, even like at the Bloy tournament, we had a, um, there was a situation where uh, one of the teams had, had thrown it and they had thrown it in a pretty big pile. Um, and they kind of, you know, they were kind of debating between the two teams as far as, well, where they really stand, what they do, you know. And, and at the time, we didn't really have this type of rule implemented, even though I had kind of been. Um, playing around with it and stuff, and uh, so we keep just basically said, the, okay, try to, you know, kind of work together and agree on the best way to do it. And it was definitely a little klutzy, you know, and especially the bigger those piles get, you know, like a, the one thing we have been doing is to kind of challenge everybody on Coot United and kind of go in the backyard and just try to do it several times, and you know, kind of kind of get for how you feel from it. Um, the one thing we found is, especially if you get a, a baton that's kind of off plane or that a lot of times it doesn't hit really solid so it doesn't seem to bust the pile too bad um, there is always a scenario where you hit one pretty solid it pushes it all the way to the back of the pitch you know but then again it's like well that doesn't become near as bad from the advantage line if that one does end up standing so it's not quite of a what i would call a death penalty but it's definitely what it almost like we found in a lot of cases it really doesn't seem to be that big of a difference but it's just a much cleaner way to resolve it versus trying to remember. Um, so that's kind of one of the challenges, like I said, I kind of put that challenge out to everybody at Coot United and said, just experiment with it. Um, I think, Chad, you can maybe even talk a little bit about what you've seen, but I, I was kind of surprised how it doesn't seem to be as big a deal as I want. Every once in a while, like I said, it is one does get knocked out, then you kind of push it in, and then, you know, it, it's still pretty a pretty tight pack. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, Matt Green and myself we had tested that in the backyard uh, here <clears throat> and we, we tested it for like a half an hour and had a bunch of different scenarios. And um, to be honest, we, when we like basically the, what penalty we called on ourselves a lot. And, and I granted, this is probably not going to happen very often, but we feel it, 
you know, in order to better the game, it it needs to be clear um, and, and make things easy to resolve or easier to resolve. So this is, uh, again, probably the best scenario. So, But one of the major concerns, like Evan said, is, is it too big of a penalty? So we wanted to test that theory. So we took it to the backyard and put it to the test. And we threw, I don't know, how many times and and uh, just that regular blast and <clears throat> we went be setting up three four at a time and basically what we did is like like one of the other questions we had going back and forth is an internal debate between us at Kuba United is should a defense set them up or should the offensive team set them up and Dano said the defense team should set them up on the hinge to their advantage and um, that was one of the other questions getting into this is you know which teams should set them up. Uh, but getting back to our, our, our test is that we found that it did not impact the game as as much as we thought it was going to. Like, it's not a huge detriment because of the fact that unless you have, like Evan said, you have, and, I, and I drove one way back kind of on purpose. Uh, but typically if you're doing that, you're only aiming at one, th- that's like the biggest impact. But others... But- Others that just kind of becomes like a penalty cube then, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just exactly. kind of a penalty cube. Yeah, so um, we tested in the backyard, and we didn't find it, that it was game-changing, put it that way. Jesse, were you going to hop in before? I thought you were... Yeah, I was. Uh, you guys have kind of covered everything that I was going to talk about. I think one thing as well with this is we talked about you know, your tournament, the U.S. Open, versus other people's tournament. And I think that with your tournament, especially with active referees, it becomes more of a rule change that you can do. Um, I feel like the only detriment you might get is teams who might not want to call it. If there's a, if there's a close baton and it does have this huge blast zone, then they're not, and it's questionable. Maybe they don't want to call it, or maybe it's more contentious from the other team if you do call it because it ruined their group, where if you've got an active referee who is there observing, then they're the ones calling it. And this is the one thing that I think almost just becomes impossible to referee all nearly is when those really short advantage line blasts. You know, I mean, a lot of times those are getting no, you know, no rotation on the shot. It's, it's the distance that leaves your hand until you make contact with Coob. You know, potentially I can see that being the biggest where, where things really move a lot. But unless they step over the line clearly or something, it would be, it would be really hard to go into the current rules and things that we have right now to even be able to call it, you know. Um, so, so so that's one of those things where I, I would think it would be very rare. Um, so the biggest thing I can see is possibly somebody clearly stepping over the line, which, you know, I, you know so, so I guess from my standpoint, it's kind of, to me, that's like that's when you would most be having the biggest damage in the pile. But on the four-foot blast, I just, you know, I, I'm sure there's people who can really do it if they really throw a really, really hard blast shot and move things around. But, yeah, that was just something I... I wasn't able to do um, enough to where it seemed like when I had to reset it back up, it really was a major detriment, you know, compared to the challenge of trying to put them back to the way they were before. Um, you know, we spend so much time and effort and the etiquette of the game to stand those cubes up on, you know, on the hinge and everything like that, that when somebody creates a penalty, it just seems like, oh, now we're just kind of, you know, doing the best we can, but then it's, you know, it's just not a, a clear way to do it. So, so, for me, that was, you know, I was concerned about it being kind of a death penalty. I, I don't feel like that's probably an issue anymore, just based on the testing. But you know, granted, you know, this has only been us experimenting around in the backyards a little bit. So even more, I, I'd be curious if more people tried it and tested it and kind of get their feel for it. It's not a rule where 
but it's, it's one of those like we'd like to resolve certainly before the U.S. Open. Um, and we're looking for feedback on uh, what, what other people think about it. And, and you got doing your your pitches are completely painted, right? All the lines as far as the end lines, mid lines, side lines, everything's painted. Correct. Should help with your four meter footfalls. You know, I think there's always a fairly hard issue with advantage lines and gauging where the line is. Um, you know, and I think you know, most of the time when I'm going on an advantage line, I try to go farther back than I need to just to make sure I'm back far enough. But I mean, that that can be hard to judge. And like you said, the real close blast where you're basically, there's no rotation, you're just letting go of it right before. I mean, that's nearly impossible to tell. But those are the more common scenarios. I think that this stuff would come into play then from four meters, especially with painted pitches. That's one of the, uh, it's one, I, I don't foresee it, the this rule obviously being used a whole lot because I haven't seen it in all the years I've been playing. I think it's only happened like once for sure, maybe twice of all the tournaments that I played at. Um, but, but that one time uh, or two times it was, there was a contentious type of back and forth, like how they were set up originally because nobody really remembers, um, how they were. And then it's just not a clean way. So we we feel that this might be a, a good, real good alternative to it. The other question becomes is again, I guess, get your opinion on it. Um, Dan already, like I said before, he, you know, our question is, should the defense then set them up, or should the offensive team set them up? I think the defensive team should set them up because they, when you get done drilling, the defensive team sets them up, and if you stop the game for a fault, you just call the defense back in to set them up where they lay now and not try to remember or favor anything. It's just simple. Have the defense set them up. Yeah, I agree. I think I think defense should set them up. Yeah, I lean that way as well. Defense. There you go. There's four for defense. Just, just my opinion. It's I I think it's a defensive two. So I mean, um, but as we want to get your opinion on it, get some from other players that have actually played the game. What your thoughts are on it. So, um, just to see what your thoughts are on it, and you know, it, it's helpful for us to make that decision then. Yeah, definitely. So that you know, one of the guys who on our team who proposed the offense, uh, obviously that you know that maybe would make it a little bit. I can agree. I mean, it's one of those things like, you know, let the defense set it back up and then uh, kind of move the game along quicker and just kind of, you know, that's a lot of things too is, you know, we like to see the games move along quicker and have ways to decisively make some of these decisions. So to me, that was on the the plus side of this rule. One the one other thing I was thinking kind of in this area with your active ref, referees and, you know, you said you may not have them for all the early rounds, but, you know, as you get into, like you said, the quarterfinals, semis, and finals, you know, with the, the foot faults on the advantage lines, have you guys ever seen, like, in, like, a World Cup soccer where they have um, a set that they call a penalty and say it's a direct kick from 25 yards out, and then you set up the wall 10 yards beyond where the ball's being kicked, and they, they like, basically, you know, have this stuff that they can spray on the field that disappears. Um, you know, possibly like your active ref could say, "Here, here's your advantage line. Spray the line, so you know where exactly where it is. No matter what. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what that stuff is, but it, it would be interesting in Kube if if that were in play as well. I would think just to make it so it's obvious where the line is um, as you walk up to an advantage line. Yeah, that's a, a, what I thought of is um, is, is if there's an active ref there. One of the things that I always 
uh, think of that can be helpful is like a wide receiver in football. They always look to the refs right on there and they kind of point at them to make sure. And then the ref says, usually nods his head that you're good. The referee could do the same thing. Um, yeah, that would work too. You know, Less you can cool, just stand in line and just say, yep, <laughs> you're good. Go ahead and throw or whatever it may be. And you can just check with the ref. Um, but I think if it comes down to that, that can happen uh, probably fairly easily, at least with an advantage line. Yeah, as long as it doesn't take the referee out of position, you know, to see the throw and feel. And that's one where I, I kind of, sometimes I think it's good to have your teammate kind of help with that as well. I mean, it would itself referee you would have to, you know, because. Especially if you have two referees, I can see that that would work, you know, work really well. If you have the one, um, we're kind of recommending a position behind the thrower. Yeah, so, so that I would guess it also good. depends on how active your referees are. I mean, if they're basically saying, you know, you have to wait for them to play, you know, they could check the line, get back in position, and say, okay, you're free, go, you know, whenever you're ready. I do like the idea of the uh, how quickly, I kind of wonder how quickly that would disappear. Right? It look, on TV, yeah. it looks pretty fast, but I don't wow. know. Like I said, I have no idea what that stuff is. But Definitely have it on our list to uh, investigate. <laughs> Thanks for that. Wouldn't the ref just lay an extra baton or uh, early baton down and establish that line just like that, like you see a lot of people do? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it even necessarily needs to be the ref. I mean, maybe the ref could check to see if that where they put that baton is accurate quickly or something. But I think that's just kind of a good – for me, it's, it's always been a good – thing to do especially if i have newer players on my team where you know I'll, I'll kind of drop that baton down where you know the line's at um so that way they realize they don't step over it because it's kind of funny is you know they see a lot of people especially the newer you know some of the newer players are like oh you know where's you know <laughs> they almost completely act like there's no line there at all you know type of thing so it's uh so yeah i've always kind of felt that's a good rule of thumb anyway to do um just kind of giving people an, an idea, a better, a clearer indication where the line is for my teammates. Yeah, this could come down to a good coup etiquette, I guess, if your teammates, obviously, you can throw down a baton <clears throat> for your team, especially if you have an advantage line, it's the, you your first throw, take a baton and throw it, you know, set it down and have your, you know, have your team check it so you you know you're good, and that's kind of a good self-refereeing type of thing um, and good coup etiquette from the get-go anyway. So um, that's a good call, but I'd be interested in that stuff that disappears because I haven't seen that either. Well, that, yeah, thanks for that feedback on that. that was, that's really good feedback, and that's what kind of I want to do. During the final part of this episode, we introduced the idea of a toss coup being legal if it is 100% inside the pitch versus the current 50% rule. The reason for the proposed change is that we believe that it will be easier to determine if it is in and cause fewer delays and confusion in resolving. Please feel free to contact Coob United on Twitter, our Facebook page, or email us at unitedwecoob at gmail.com if you would like to comment on this rule or anything else that we discussed in today's episode. We will now pick up from where we left off. The other question is probably the bigger of the two, um, but uh, it was brought up by... Uh, I think um, Chris or or uh, Josh brought this up a, a while ago, actually last year, and we got talking about it, and, and it was presented to us. And the more I think about it, and I've tested this theory too, is um, uh, one of the things we want to do is with Kube is make it a legitimate sport. With all sports, there is a defined line that's uh, in or out. In, in, in sports. And right now, the, the current rules, again, this is applied to U.S. Open only, but as the rule is applied right now, uh, you know that 
in order for a cube to be in play, it has to be 50% in, um, looking down the, the pins from pin to pin on ends. So what if, why not, since we're going to have painted pitches, why not make it so it's a defined line and make it so the cube has to be 100% in, and if it touches the line in any way, shape, or form, it's out of bounds. Yeah, and even uh, even if you have pins set up, I, I, I found that I like it a lot because it's, you're not having that scenario where that cube gets tucked behind the pin, behind that center pin, or, you know, or it kind of makes it to where that center pin isn't as big of an obstacle in the game. And uh, so for me, uh, that was that was one thing that I, I personally kind of liked a lot, as well as it just kind of makes it quicker and easier to set up and you're not evaluating out of 50 and you know, things like that. So obviously, you know, you can you still always have your always at 1% in now, um, but it did seem like it was a, a kind of quicker, easier way. Now, the one thing with my experimentation, maybe Chad can talk about this a little bit too, or even Darren, if, if he's played with it, is um, you'll find... You'll have some more rethrows, <laughs> especially that that short one. It's right on the you know that really lands on the line. Um, you, you know, you definitely have to kind of toss that cube a couple inches further to get that one on the line. But uh, overall, experimentally, I, I definitely saw some positives. Yeah, well, Matt and I tested this as well at the same time in the backyard, and we both liked it from the get go. It was clear, it was precise, and it was super easy to set the cubes up uh, because there wasn't. You know, is that 50% in? Is that 49? You know, it's like, okay. The, and again, this is all designed because of, of our vision. So I think it, it makes things easier. But yeah, there will be there will be more rethrows. Uh, but um, I think it, acts, it, it uh, adds to the dimension of the game. So there would be a little bit of, a, uh, of an adjustment there for the drillers. But I think it's a, a really nice adjustment because... It uh, allows you or the driller to think about your th- shots a little bit more versus, you know, throwing it out, oh, it's 50% or, you know, whatever. I, I don't necessarily think either there'd be more rethrows. It's the the corner still the corner. It's just line and not the yeah, pegs. Yeah, you, you just have to get adjusted to it because sure. cause if, if it touches the line, you're rethrowing it. So And, um, and oddly enough, even when we played at, um, you know, it, on some painted pitches with no pegs, like it cube in the kettle, it's a whole different feeling not having that middle peg. That's what I was going to ask. Are you, are you keeping the middle peg? No, we won't have any pegs. You won't have any pegs because that I, I agree with Evan as far as I it drives me nuts that to have, I mean, just to have cubes hidden halfway behind the peg on the wrong side because of the halfway in, and then the pegs aren't always, especially if you don't want painted lines, the pegs in the middle peg isn't always flush. Sometimes it can be a little farther out, a little farther in, so it's not always true on the line. It gets hit from, all day long. Well, from a grouping, and from, from a grouping slash drilling perspective, when I'm actually drilling the cubes, I like the peg. I tend to play off of it a lot. Um, just It seems like oftentimes when I'm I'm drilling, my first cube is basically cut into the peg and sits there. Um, so I tend to use it to keep that first cube in bounds. Um, but overall, I think the, the 100% end rule I like, I think it would, it would simplify things a lot um, and keep everything uh, aligned better. Then, then now you have a lot of leeway with the 50 and you know, whether or not you know, cubes... And when in doubt, I tend to call them in. 
um, yeah, when they might not right. necessarily be, and this will be obvious. So I, I'd prefer that. But welcome, Chris. Hey, Chris Jones in the house now. Yeah, sorry I'm late. I uh, got a little distracted by some hockey. So uh, what we're talking right now, Chris, is uh, a rule that we're kind of experimenting with here with some of the Cube United members is uh, kind of challenging the 50% rule where uh, if a Cube stands up, if it's 50% in, one of the ideas that uh, like uh, Josh others or Chris Hodges come up with is uh, what if we go with 100%? I mean, we kind of always kind of wondered, just like, why is there 50%? So uh, one of the benefits, like I, I kind of mentioned, and Bobby just mentioned, was if you do, you, you know, say, you, you know, you know, we kind of brought it up because we have painted lines. But what I found is it kind of takes that center pin, if you are playing with the center pin, out of the, the equation where it's not as much of a obstacle, and you know, you kind of tuck in that 50% coup uh, behind that. I mean, that, that was one thing that kind of jumped out at me really quickly that I really like. Um, but a lot of times it, it does seem it's more decisive and easier to determine. Uh, if the coup's in or out based on the hundred percent in. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, that that does seem to be the the thing. I guess the most uh, one of the most subjective parts of coup right now. Thinking back to playing on Sunday, and there was a uh, at least two times when I thought the team was calling something out that I thought it was in, and probably vice versa. Will yeah, a standard, uh, go ahead, Daniel. I was just wondering if there's going to be a standard uh, thickness to the line, whether it's one inch or two inch or you know a quarter inch. Well, yeah, the we... best we can on the grass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and the thing about that, the line itself, Evan and I actually got to the discussion just this week. We were looking into some different, you know, different ideas and how to you know paint the lines or whatever. And the idea is the thickness of the line. It really won't matter because we're going to use the inside line a determining edge of the inside line basically so the 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 idea is to have the eight meters you know widthwise uh or lengthwise i mean um and then the five meters wide basically the pitch is going to be the inside of that predetermined that painted line so whether the line is two inches or three inches it really shouldn't matter because we're actually using the inside line the entire inside determining edge of that line and i should make a side note for chris and jason these rules that we're talking about are only for us and the U.S. Cube Open. This isn't, you know, making any huge rule changes for everybody else. It's just for our tournament. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if people adopt it, you know, I'm probably going to do it in Rockford. just going to kind of see how it goes out. But it's, uh, um, yeah, it's something we were kind of experimenting with. And we kind of were looking for feedback from the community if this is something that feels a good idea. Yeah, like I said, um, we tested it. We liked it. Um, and then the more we tested, the more we liked it. And it just makes sense as far as if we're looking at it from a perspective of being a sport. Because um, obviously if people play sports, the determining line is the line. Um, it's not you're, if you're a football player and your foot is 50% in, you're in. It's <laughs> touch the line, it's out. So it, to make it like any other sport, we just wanted to, that is the biggest question uh, of that. And, and like I said, it's, it's new. Uh, it's new to me. It's new to, I think most everybody on here uh, with Kubi United. So we wanted to put it to a test and see how we would like it. So um, we wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. The one comment I have is kind of on the thickness of the line is, you know, cause sometimes like, or even if, if, if one's really close, um, kind of like Bob had mentioned earlier, I kind of like, benefit of the doubt to, to the offense. Um, what I've been kind of doing is just kind of like pinching the grass a little bit together and, you know, try to make it 
or you know, kind of like where I think the line would be, because sometimes we know grass, especially if the grass is longer, um, it kind of flops one way or the other, and the blood line can get a little bit wavy. Um, so what I've been doing is by where the cubes at, I just kind of pinch it and see if I can get a clear indication that it, it wouldn't be touching. So um, that just I'm doing that pinch rule thing myself to see how that works, and that seemed to work pretty well. I feel like it just makes it clear. I mean, you know, part of the like you said, you want to drive it to be more like a sport, and you know, I think when things can be obvious and clear and easy, it just is better for everybody. I think one of the problems you see, like right now with the NFL, is nobody really knows what a catch is. Um, it seems to change week by week, game by game, and, and no one seems to know. At least in this case, and before, I think you had a little with the half in. It's still a little bit of a judgment call where this should be a lot more obvious. So completely in favor of it. I think it just makes sense. Yeah, I think the fewer times you're having to have people, you know, evaluate and you know, calling the referee and all that type of thing will just speed the game up too and kind of help the flow. Um, I know, like, like you said, as you get to Sunday, um, I tend to maybe call a ref in a little quicker than you know, or you know, that it would or this is working out because it's kind of like, okay, we got a ref here that's close and available make that call but i think i would you know i think in this case i would not have to be calling a referee or a, or a person off another pitch to have to make this call because it doesn't seem to be a more clear decisive way to yeah it's going to be clear on penalties too because i mean it's not as big a deal on the first throw but on the second throw it is and um you know anything you can do to make it clear so that somebody doesn't think like oh you're Get one over on me there. It's, you have a penalty cube. I don't think it's out, and then you have this big controversy. It just seems easier. Calling them will be a lot easier because you're looking straight down at the block and not trying to sight down a full eight meters. That's true. And even if the line gets a little smudged throughout the day, you should have a good idea about where it should be. And I, I'm with Bob. You know, if it's close enough, it's it type of thing. <laughs> it's stressed out over. Yeah, the challenge is going to be making distinct lines. Yeah, we're hoping to work with the parks. They said they'd work with us to cut the grass real short. So yeah, yeah I'll remind them several times before the, <laughs> before the tournament gets in. You, you, our biggest threat is our rain. Yeah, Evan, rain. you you like that picture with Drew straight in it today, and you see how long the grass was. Oh, I didn't know <laughs> from Beloit last year. <laughs> yeah, there were some long ones. Out. Yeah, and that, that was what like, it was. Depending on where you were at there that day, there was yeah, um, yeah, some grass was pretty tall. We've been to. You know, I, I know Madison kind of comes to mind. There's a couple times there where Aaron's like begging to <laughs> get yeah. that pitch, and we show up and in the grass is like four inches tall. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, that's that's something I've, I've stressed several times. And, yeah, uh, to get us on the grass as is are capable or willing. Um, I know Cass and Jason. He's mentioned before that they've had some. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes because I think it's a football practice field that we play yeah. on, um, they, you know, they're, they're not allowed to cut it real short. Um, so, yeah, so, so there's always a challenge with that. But uh, I think like, you said in casting last year, with all the rain and sun that week leading up to it, it was got long and thick. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as we've seen at Nationals, you know, I think we all love the length of the grass there. And, uh, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really hoping we can duplicate or at least come as close as possible. Um, to that to that type of length. Yeah, you got any thoughts on uh, on that, Jesse? At all? No, I, I kind of agree with everybody about it. Uh, it takes a lot of the subjectiveness away from it, and maybe even you know, uh, as your tournament grows, you're gonna you talk about having cash payouts. And uh, I've always talked about my concern with that would be 
Um, you know, a lot of disputes on rule calls and the active referees being there takes away from it. And I think this rule does too. You don't have to worry about is the referee biased towards anybody. It's clear cut. Most of the, the arguments, if you will, that I see are on in out calls. Yeah. It's a, like I said, that's uh, one of those things where we want to, uh, I mean, it, it comes down to with it with a sport. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. And, th- and that's our vision. Um, and I think this is a really good idea and a good rule change in, in my opinion. So, I mean, I'm liking it right now, but you know, like I said, I just want to get your get your thoughts on it. Did you guys see a, a bump in penalty coops as well? I know you said there's a lot more rethrows. Yeah, it, it it takes a little adjustment because what you're you know we've always been at least the drillers been always been used to. You kind of have that idea where you can put the coop and and knowing that it's going to be in where this it, it takes a little bit of a just a little bit of adjustment. Uh, to get it, you know, make sure it's past that line. Obviously, you can still lay on it, but obviously, if you tip it in, the 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 closest edge has to be, you know, clear of that line to be in. So it takes a little bit of adjustment. Um, what what Matt and I were testing, uh, I did have more rethrows than normal, but again, that's because we're just used to the fifty percent rule. So um, I think this will be the like Matt and I talked about the biggest adjustment of of anything just because of the rule itself but nothing that's going to change the game to where it's going to be crazy evan are you going to have uh painted pitches at rockford yeah they they're gonna allow me to do that so yeah our plan is to if not all the pitches i mean there's several of them um is the plan i'm hoping we can do all of them but uh they did give me the go ahead here just a week or two ago that they're gonna allow me to paint them so um we'll definitely have you know quite a few if not all of them as always, weather permitting. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, and that and that'll be nice for people that if they have any concerns about that rule, they'll be able to, like you said, you're going to probably use these same rule sets for Rockford, so they'll get a chance to to play with these rules before the open. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coop Talk, brought to you by Coop United. If you like what you've heard, then please share with your friends. You can follow us on Kube United on our Facebook page, YouTube, Twitter, or check out our homepage at kubeunited.com. There was a second part of this recording that will be edited and posted as a episode number two called California, Here I Come. Have a great day. Remember that we are all on the same team.